Well, sweet. We are uh, in week, I think, 27 or 28 in a 72 or 73 week series in the Gospel of Mark. So I want to encourage you to crack open your brand new ESVs if you if you want to grab one. Um, they're in the aisles. Pass them down if you need one. Uh, Pat might even grab one if you need a spare one. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 1. And we are going to be looking at, um, at something that is, for some of us, a real tender spot. Um, tradition. Tradition. Uh, we're going to be on page 842, by the way. And um, I just love opening up new books. It's kind of fun. Um, anyway, side note. Um, I grew up in a small town of about 10,000 people. I grew up in a town where um, your Saturday obligation was to clean your shoes, buff them to a high sheen, because the next day you were going to church. I grew up in a community where you spent the afternoon of, even if you grew up on a, in a, on a farm and you drove on gravel roads, your responsibility on Saturday was to have a clean car because you were going to church on Sunday. I grew up in, in, a, in a place where tradition was extremely important. Pella, Iowa. A little borough of Dutch folks that, that loved Jesus with all of their hearts, that, that created some traditions that were really based probably on, on a very good understanding of Scripture and just said, listen, how, how do we revere God with all that we are? How do, how do we just show God that we love Him and say that, God, you are, you are holy and you call us to be holy. You call us to be set apart because you are holy. We want to be a different people. And so one of the things that they did was you showed up in church and you were dressed to the nines. Farmers who wore overalls all week long pulled out their dress clothes. And they looked sharp. They even wore ties. It was a strange thing. Traditions like, here's, here's another one. We, when you walked into church, suddenly your volume would change from this to whisper. Even in the fellowship hall area. The narthex. The holy word, you know. The narthex. I don't even know what that means. But in the narthex, we just kind of talk like this. The fellowship hall was just a, a gentle murmur of coffee and donuts and talking and, you know, coffee clutching together. That's how, how you... And if there was ever a child running, ever a child running in the sanctuary, there was hell to pay. If there was ever an unholy giggle in church, ever an unholy giggle in church, it was fixed with one of those pinches. You know, you could see your father just reach round and try to get that little fat behind the back of the arm. And you would be in tears because you don't laugh in church. There is nothing hilarious about church. There was no room for giggling. There was no room for running. There was no room for wearing common people's clothes. There was no room for dirty cars. No room. And that's the kind of culture that I grew up in going, okay, I, I, I get these pieces. I understand. And I very 
quickly learned that there were unwritten rules for how to be a Christian. Unspoken, unwritten rules for this is how we behave. This is what we do. And I'm sure that if you look at your own story, in your own life, whether you're, you call yourself a believer of Jesus Christ, a long-term believer, or maybe you're just fresh into it, or you're here just checking it out for the first time, you can say, man, I can see that there are traditions in my life. That maybe if, if I peeled back the layers and go back far enough in history, that they were really based on some really good things. They might even be based in the Bible. But as time goes on, we add layers. We add reasons. We add feelings. We add personal stories. We add and we add and we add. But at the set, we've missed what was really the reason. Why do we do what we do? And the thing about tradition is that very quickly, tradition can become paramount. It can be the biggest thing out there. It can be paramount to everything else. Tradition trumps all. Some of you may have grown up in, in that kind of a family. Where let, Let's take it out of the religious circle. Let's talk about Christmas. Or any other Easter holiday. Or Thanksgiving. Or birthdays. Tradition. This is why we do what we do. Christmas. Have you ever thought about why you do what you do? Have you thought about why you celebrate the things that you do? And there's certain, you know, have you ever tr- tried to change a family tradition? There's hell to pay. You, if you're the one that introduces it, the family wants to kill you. Are you serious? Well, what are the kids going to do? Well, we've done this all along. And there's just those, you do that and you become the black sheep. But if we, if we aren't careful, tradition becomes the black hole that sucks everything into it and sucks the very life out of us. But I want you to hear this. Traditions are not wrong. Traditions aren't wrong. Traditionalism is wrong. The second that tradition becomes God is the second that we miss it all. We miss the gospel. We miss the beauty of God's working. And this morning we're going to look at what Jesus had to say to some very religious folks in Mark chapter 7. So read along with me. And we're going to read all the way 1 through 23. So stick with me. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. Those were two Old Testament laws. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever would be given, has, uh, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things to do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of person that is going to going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered into the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, All foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. And they defile a person. As we read this, um, it's hard for us with New Testament eyes to understand what's really going on. You see, about uh, two centuries, um, two centuries after Jesus, there was a compilation of oral traditions that were put together, and it was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah was basically, uh, rabbis would get together and they'd kind of look at Scripture and they'd read through the Torah and they'd read it and say, well, okay, but so let's, let's try to protect God's holy word and let's do it by creating things that would protect God's holy word and give people tools to remain those holy set-apart people. And one of the things that the Torah or the, the Mishnah said is that tradition is a fence around the law. 
Tradition is, is this fence that protects God's law. Traditions, as, as the Jews saw, saw it was protected, protected God's holy word and assisted his people in keeping it. So these traditions were at their core very good things because they loved God's word. They just adored it. They, they would memorize. It was, it was the goal to memorize the, in, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would put it all into their heads and memorize it. They would just enjoy it. And if you would go to any Jewish synagogue today, they would do a dance with the Torah around the sanctuary. And they, the little children would want to be the one carrying this, this document around because they just loved it. So they created traditions around the law to protect God's holy word and to assist the people in keeping God's holy word. This fencing of the law began very well. It was a good thing, just like many of our traditions. They start out really with great intentions. But as time goes on, absurdities crept in. Listen to some of these absurdities. Looking into a mirror was forbidden on the Sabbath. Okay? Looking, ladies, looking into a mirror is forbidden on a Sabbath because if you would see a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it, which would be considered work. And you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So therefore, looking into a mirror, out of the question. That bring a whole new look to Sunday morning that Missio Day. Okay? Number two, you could not wear false teeth because if they would ever fall out, you can't just let them sit, sit there, right? you got to pick them up. Picking up would be considered work. So you got to, you know, just hope that the dogs don't come and pick up your teeth if they fall out on Sunday. The next one is, it, when it comes to carrying a burden, you cannot carry a handkerchief, any kind of handkerchief, on the Sabbath. So if, if you've got to blow your nose, you can't carry it around in your hand because that would be considered labor. So let's say that you're upstairs and you want to make sure that you got, have a handkerchief to blow your nose. You have to tie it around your neck walk downstairs, and then you can take it off. Because if you carried it down the stairs, again, that would be labor. Another one, this is, this is one that I think is bizarro. The, the rabbis debated about uh, over a man with a wooden leg, of all things. And if his house caught on fire, if his house caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? It's work. Do you just leave it there for tinder? What do you do? Here's another one. If you, you're allowed to spit on the Sabbath, but you've got to be careful where you spit. Because if your foot accidentally slides over the spit, that would be considered toiling the land, working the land. So you've got to be careful. Spit in designated spots. And don't Drag your foot through it. So they created all kinds of Sabbath prohibitions. 
You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. When God said, six days you shall labor and you shall do all your work. On the seventh you shall rest. And all of a sudden they create these fences protecting God's word. But one of the biggest areas of the Mishnah was this area of cleanliness. This cleanliness. It was over 186 pages of regulations about how to be clean. So Jesus, in his time, when he's addressing this, he is already talking to people who are very entrenched in these, these traditions. Very entrenched. They, they were like sucked in. So for 200 years, these people had been practicing it. So for 200 years, they've been dealing with these issues of cleanliness. So if you wanted to, before you eat, and this only originally applied to the Levites, the priests, you would first wash your hands. And there was a certain way of washing your hands. You'd first wash it like this. No, no, you first wash it like this. Have water, somebody pour water over it so it's going down your wrist. And then, this way. Pour us more over so it drips off your hands. On top of that, there were, if you would go into the marketplace, and we see this in today's text, if you go into the market, marketplace, you could be defiled by somebody who was in there. Maybe he or she were unclean and you didn't know about it. Or maybe there were Gentiles there, God forbid. So one of the things that they do, and some commentators believe that people, after going to the marketplace, would take a full-out bath because they don't want to be unclean. So they created laws upon laws upon laws. They were washing all the time. Verse 3 through 4, the Pharisees and all the, and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash. Tradition. They were washing machines. Cleaning all the time because they had a love for the law. But I think they lost sight of God's Word in this whole process. So there was just this whole legal complexity that was going on because they wanted to be remain pure. They wanted to really set, be set apart. Even there was once a rabbi who was excommunicated because he did not wash his hands before eating. There was even a rabbi who was put in prison who almost died because he used his ration of water to wash his hands before he ate. They just lost sight of what really is supposed to be going on. So, tradition had been fenced and refenced and refenced and refenced. And so Jesus steps in and he taught the need for a radical kind of purity which could only be supplied by his life. Jesus refenced the whole thing. The Pharisees' commitment to ritual purity made them extremely pious and self-righteous. The really extremely goody-goody kind of people that you just kind of goes against your very grain and Jesus had something to say to them. And it was not pretty. They kind of came in on the attack because it says that when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, they, they came in intentionally to talk 
to Jesus because they came from Jerusalem, the headquarters. It's like coming from the denominational headquarters and saying, all right, we hear what you guys are doing. We're here to observe and ask you some questions. So they came in on the attack, and Jesus said, hold on a second. You're the, you're the religious hitmen here. I've got some questions for you. And Jesus goes and he quotes some of their holy scripture from Isaiah. And he says, listen. Isaiah prophesied about you. And in, in the, if you really look at the Hebrew, it says, beautifully prophesied about you guys. I love how he says this about you guys. He said, he called you hypocrites. Now, could you imagine the religious leaders of the day coming in as hitmen saying, listen, I've heard about you doing this and this and this. You're breaking all these traditions. And Jesus goes, Isaiah talks about you guys. He does it so well. He calls you hypocrites. He calls you hypocrites. Fakes. Liars. Posers. And in reality, you guys miss it. And that just caused their blood to boil. He says, listen, these people honor me with their lips. They flap their lips and they talk about this and they talk about this. And these, oh man, they talk a good talk. A great talk. But in reality, their heart is far from me. They've missed it. They've missed it. They worship me in vain. They teach things, doctrines of men as commandments of God. And they miss it. Some of these Pharisees believe that Scriptures were equal to the oral traditions of the day. And Jesus said, you're, you're hypocrites. And these people were like the, the spiritual athletes of the day. These, these were the ministry leaders. These were the pastors of Israel. These were the religious folk. This is us. This is you. This is me. Jesus is speaking to us. If you come to me, flapping your lips. Talk, 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 talk. But in reality, you miss me. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. Talk a great talk, but you know what? Your external features look great. It's the internal stuff that's rotten to the very core. Jesus' teaching was revolutionary. Verses 14 and 15. He said, he called the people to him. And you can imagine, it was probably just Jesus and these, these scribes and these Pharisees kind of talking and Jesus says, you guys missed it. Isaiah says this about you. And everybody's going, <laughs> Get ugly. Step back, stay away, because it's going to start to fly in a little bit. And Jesus called the people together and said, listen, come here. I want to talk to you about this. And he, he, he goes on and says, listen, hear me, all of you. Hear me. Jesus speaking, all of you. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him that can defile him. Now think about that. 
but the things that come out of a person are what defile him or her or us. There's huge, I love Eric, you know, talking about Missio Dei's policy on consumption. I don't know if there is such a policy, but we'll talk about it later. But, you know, there, there are some denominations that get so caught up about what comes into a person. But in reality, looking at the very core of a person, what is, what is coming out? What is being released? Have you ever been around a drunk person? What comes out of their mouth? What is really at the heart? Isn't it true? Where all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, they just say that? And the reality is, that is what is at the heart. The alcohol loosened up the tongue to speak. Freedom to speak. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not so much the issue of what's going in. It's the issue is what is really at the core of you. Who are you? What is the issue at your very core? And this sent them reeling. Jesus basically said, listen, we need to go back to the law. Because God, God's law is about giving you life. It's about giving you hope, giving you freedom. That's what this word is about. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about life. And Jesus says, you... you You've misconstrued it. This is not your legal tax table of what a Christian can and cannot do. This is about life. And so let's go back to it. And let's address who you are. According to uh, Vincent Taylor, uh, he wrote the book, uh, The Gospel According to Mark. He said this. He said, uh, laying down the principles... That uncleanliness comes from within and not from without. Jesus' pronouncement stated a truth uncommon in contemporary Judaism, which was destined to free Christianity from the bondage of legalism. Jesus said, you're missing it, folks. You're legalistic folks. I want to free you from that. William Barclay says this. This is well nigh the most revolutionary passage in the New Testament. And we miss it because we, we have New Testament eyes and we can see all this. But at that time, this was like, are you serious? Are, you're speaking against the law. And Jesus says, no, I'm not speaking against the law. I'm going back to what is the most important thing. The most important thing. It was radical. And even for, for Peter, he was entrenched into this. And he didn't even fully get it. We, we, we can read in, in Acts 10. And I'd encourage you to, to read this later on. But in Acts 10, Peter was up on a rooftop waiting for a meal. And he was getting very hungry. And while waiting for this meal, he went into a trance. And in this trance, there, there came down this sheet, four-cornered sheet that came down from heaven with all kinds of animals that were unclean, that they were forbidden to eat. And God said, eat, enjoy. And Peter goes, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. 
three times the sheet comes down and God says, eat and enjoy. And Peter goes, no. And then God, at the end, he just nails him and says, listen, you've missed it. Don't call those things unclean that I call clean. And from there, Peter launched out in a ministry to the Gentiles, to unreached people. Because these people were so Peter, an apostle who had seen Christ crucified and his resurrected body and saw him go up into heaven, still missed it. And I wonder how much we, I, still miss it where we get caught up into the legalistic kind of stuff. Well, if we, if we have this kind of uh, ministry, if we do this kind of Bible study, if we have this kind of uh, ESV Bible, if we do this, this, and this, we, we're on track. We are righteous folks. And this is the kind of church that God intended from the beginning. This is the kind of ministry that we need to do. Man, we need to become a part of the Willow Creek Association. No, we don't need to become part of the Willow Creek Association. Maybe we should become part of this association. Maybe we should be a part of this denomination. Maybe we better be this. And we start creating all these legalistic things. And God goes, no, no, no. You've missed it. We've missed it. And it's a call to all of us to say, careful. Even his disciples. You see it as we go on in, in Mark. Even his disciples come to him and say, hey, can you explain this parable? And Jesus says, he basically says, then are you without understanding? Are you dumb? I just gave you plain words. Simple words. It's not a parable. This is a truth. And he says, listen, this is... This is what makes a person unclean. When I was a kid, uh, my grandparents had um, on their farm an old combine that nobody, it, it was inoperable. And my brother and I loved to play on these things. We, these were like our tanks, and we just, we had a ball. But there was one day, I hopped into this, this old um, combine, hopped in and started driving, you know, shooting my guns and all that kind of stuff in my place. And all of a sudden, there was a whole swarm of hornets. And I was just attacked. I could just feel the, the piercings. Of, and I ran to my grand, grandmother's house, which was probably a good 50 yards away, screaming, and she could see this whole nest of wasps following me. Just a whole black, it's kind of like a Tom and Jerry thing, you know, you see the bees coming out. And this is what Jesus is saying, listen, you have within you this, this darkness. This is what defiles you. You're so concerned about eating and cleanliness, when in reality, you, you need a roto-rooter. It's the inside that is missing it. And then he comes out and just gives this list of the, the things that are in the soul of man. And he says, listen, inside of you are these things. 
And it's not, he wasn't just, at this time, he wasn't speaking to the religious leaders. He's speaking to the common, everyday folks. He's speaking to us. And he's saying, listen, inside, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. The Greek word, porneia. Theft. From the Greek word, kleptomania. Murder. Murder. You know, Jesus goes on to later define it as if you hate your brother, you have murdered. I'm sure none of us here have that kind of thing going on. Nor do we have any evil thoughts. Adultery. He defined it later on by saying, um, you even look lustfully at another. You have committed adultery. And that's not just for the married guys or the married women. You're a young man, a young woman, and you're looking at somebody lustfully. You're committing, yes, you. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy. None of us envy. We never try to keep up with the Joneses. We never want something better, right? That's what I thought. Slander. Oh, we know. None of us ever slander another person. It's just uh, sharing prayer requests. Right? Right. Pride. Men are never guilty about pride. Should be lying in here somewhere. Oh, foolishness. Yeah. Fooling myself. All these things are the evil. You see, they had just this defective theology, this defective understanding of man and sin. They treated the symptoms with legalism, when in reality, they were never dealing with the root cause. And they needed a radical change. They needed something so deep to the heart of man that would forever change them. There was nothing, you, you can't reset the, the clock of time because, you know, I, I hear my parents and grandparents talk about the good old days. If we could just go back to the good old days, that won't solve a thing. You, you hear about, man, all we need, you hear this about the, on the political level, all we need is some good education. Just some good education. We need to pour more money into the, the public schools. Hey, I agree with that. We need some good money in the public schools. But you know what? In reality, that is not going to change us. Social reform, as needed as it may be, it will not do it either. Even a revolution in a whole new world order will not make it. Because all those are just more forms of legalism. In reality, the only answer is regeneration. Having a new heart. There is no power in the world which can make a, a bad heart good. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change a bad heart to a new heart. There must be a radical new birth. Ezekiel 36 and 20, verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put into you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh heart that beats again. 
there must be a new creation. I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For the old is gone and the new has come. Later on in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. There must be a new creation within us. The Gospel must take deep root in us. God's community. The Gospel has got to change us daily as His community. The Gospel has got to change me. The Gospel has got to change you. A new birth. A new heart. A new life of resurrection. Apart from Jesus Christ, the world is desperately lost. We are desperately lost. It can only be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's what I love about celebrating communion on a weekly basis. We can only be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this, this meal that we share together is a constant reminder of the blood that was shed for us because we were hopeless. People without a cause. And Jesus gives us hope. We can polish the outside a hundred million different ways. We can add new policies to our life. We can elect a new president. But in reality... Education's going to get us nowhere. They're all just really good things. But none of these things will change us. We need Christ's life. We're going to celebrate communion as a body. Scripture talks about that this meal is a very sacred meal reserved for the children of God. Those who have professed with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, this is a meal for us. If, if you haven't come to that place in your life and you're just checking out who this Jesus is, checking out church, I just invite you, sit back, watch, ask questions. Maybe it's somebody that you've come with. Maybe you want to ask someone who's here, what's this all about? Ask those questions. But this is a meal for the family. And I want to encourage you. Take the time that you need before you come and participate. It says that we, according to Corinthians we, that we need to examine our lives. We need to examine. What, and, and you know what? Maybe you need to sit in Mark for a little bit. Because it says, you know, um, from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Maybe you guys spend some time confessing, man, God, I've been having these evil thoughts and I need to repent. Man, God, you know, I, I've been having some sexual immorality, pornea issues. And it's not just porn on the Internet or magazines. It's just these sexual immoralities, these thoughts. I, coveting. I've been committing adultery. I've been wicked. I've been covetous. I've been this. I've been that. And come knowing that Jesus forgives. So those who are serving, would you come on up to communion servers?
It was on uh, a very special meal. And the night that he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread and said, Listen, this, this is my body that is broken for you. Broken for you. And whenever you eat this, please do this in remembrance of me. Because this is my body. Broken for you. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup of blessing and he poured it out. Saying, listen, you are going to see me shed my blood in due time. And this is for the complete remission, the complete removal of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you do this, as often as you eat this meal, remember. Remember. I love you. And you need my life to give you life. During this communion time, we are also going to be uh, receiving our benevolence. And this is does not go into our general operating expenses. This goes to those who are in need in our community. So as He has given generously to you, give generously back. Come, for all things are ready.